0: You know what, I honestly believe that God's got some amazing things in store for each one of you, and as we kind of get towards the end of this series, I think we're going to see that God has a plan and a purpose, that there's a structure for things, that things just don't exist because, right? Um, Sorry, you can dismiss the kids. Go ahead. I got to get used to this. Um, this morning, one of the things that I did is I went out, got up early this morning, went out, and took a drive to test the roads. And I kind of had an assumption. And you know what that assumption was? The assumption was, well, it's been raining for four or five hours. The snow should be melted off, right? I mean, that's what rain does, right? It, it melts it off, melts the snow off. So everything's going along pretty good. And then suddenly, I'm in the van, and the van just starts to, this is like at 5.30 in the morning. There's nobody out but the plow trucks. And the van just starts to, so what do I do? Well, I don't jerk the wheel and do something silly, right? I don't go, oh, no. I just kind of let the van, I fought it a little bit, and I turned into it like you're supposed to when you're sliding, right? You're supposed to turn into it. That didn't work. And so off the road I went at 530 on 132 between LaPel and Pendleton, testing different roads. And lo and behold, somebody put a telephone pole there, right? Like, and my first thought is, um, okay, who am I calling? My brain's thinking one thing, but deep inside my spirit is the Holy Spirit, and it cries out, Jesus, not in a cursing way, but in a prayer way, literally, and as I'm heading right at the telephone pole, the van literally just fishtails and circles around, and then comes back. Now, I'm... I'm now by the time that has happened I'm in the field and now there's a I'm headed right towards a sign which is like at a dead end but I'm on the backside of that sign you know and I'm coming now towards it and the van fishtails back around the sign I I say I got but I know that it wasn't me it had to be my angel that's gonna kick me in the shin when I get to heaven and the van straightened up I'm in the field now driving through and I'm just waiting for the tires to get stuck I'm waiting for something else to happen. I've cleared every obstacle that was there. And now I'm driving parallel with the road, but I'm out here in the field. And the next thing I know, the van literally goes sideways back onto the road. There's no logical explanation because my wheels weren't turned. Nothing happened except my van got pushed back onto the road. Now some of you are sitting in silence going, I don't believe you. That's fine you believe what you want but I'm telling you what happened I went out to test what we have created called roads it's a structure there's a structure to things and the way things are supposed to operate my van did not operate according to physics when I'm going parallel and it just literally went sideways without the wheels being turned and back up on the road and I did not lose speed. I was on the road 30 miles an hour, just like I was when I went off the road. This morning, I had a miracle, and I'm standing up here based on a miracle. There's the only reason I'm standing here. <laughs> but I want you to know something, that there was a structure in place. We all know that vans are not designed to go off-road, right? They're designed to be on the road. And God has put a structure in place that He wants to guide and navigate His truth. So that when we in life get off the road and we head towards that telephone pole or we head towards wherever, maybe in life we're stuck spinning our wheels because we keep having the same negative thoughts or the or, or things seem to be impossible and, and we're stuck out in the field, God says, No, 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 I want to bring you back over to my structure. And so what we've been doing for several weeks is looking at the structure or the things that Jesus gave to the church to help keep the church balanced and on. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I'm a Christ follower and I'm a Christian, then what I want you to know is this. I want you to know that God has a structure through Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to keep going verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 let's read that together it says as a prisoner for the Lord then I well is that 11 that's one that is Ephesians chapter 1 okay let's try Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 let me just uh, read that here real quick so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And so Jesus gave to the church, to his body. He gave apostles. We talked about apostles. We talked about prophets. We talked about evangelists last week. Today we're going to talk about pastors and teachers. Now this one happens to be near and dear to my heart. Can you imagine why? Right? When Jesus says, I'm going to give to the body of Christ at large a gift, and one of those gifts is a pastor and teacher, I tend to take that pretty serious, right? And so we have the apostles who go out and they, they start churches where churches are not, or they go into a church, and like I said, they, they bring that church back into alignment with the will of God. They have prophets who speak into the body of Christ and speak into Christians and confirm what they have been feeling all along, and prophets kind of speak into the future of things. Maybe you've been sensing in your own personal life. They just confirm that. You have evangelists that evangelists that go out and they literally just they make a living telling people about Jesus. Right? I mentioned two very well known in our lifetime. One was Billy Graham. The other was Reinhard Bunke from Germany. And I had a friend growing up that was had the gift of evangelism, and he could just literally go into a store and walk out with people saved. It just, it just it's a gift. It's a gift. And so these people blaze trails and, and tell people about Christ. But you can have somebody start something. You can have somebody share the gospel. You can have somebody speak into the future and, and tell you what's going down or what's happening. But if there's not a pastor teacher there to stabilize everything, then you know what you get? You get a bunch of chickens that are free-roaming chickens just i just thought of this analogy It's probably not the best okay just wandering everywhere somebody has to say hey guys get into the hen house let's get warm there's a storm coming right somebody has to say okay everybody get let's go let's 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 get this thing organized let's get this thing running let's just all be out scattered and so he says in verse 11 pastors and teachers now One of the things that you can do is in your your Bible, if you want to cross out the word and, it's not there in the Greek. The word and, it does not say in the Greek, pastors and teachers. It says pastors, teachers. Because pastors teach. Pastors teach. And pastors teach, but teachers don't necessarily pastor. Are you with me? You might have a You might have a gift to teach in the local church, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're called to pastor. But every pastor teaches. Does that make sense? And we'll see another cross-reference here in just a little bit. A pastor's role, the Greek word here is poemen, it's where we get the English word poet. He is to weave and write upon your heart in such a way that you Mature and grow spiritually. I went to the coffee shop this morning, and and when I go in on Sunday mornings, there's a certain lady that works in there, and she's like, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna come. I just keep Sundays. And I'm like, Well, just tell your boss you're not gonna work on Sunday, you know? And And every Sunday morning, she asked me, What are you preaching about? And I said, On the roles and responsibility of a pastor. She's like, You know, my grandpa was a pastor. I'm like, Oh, really? Right? You just never know she's like I haven't been to church since I was a teenager ah. she said so what is a what is some of the responsibilities and roles of a pastor and now I'm gonna give you the rest of my sermon right I gave it to her in a nutshell you're not getting the condensed version okay and you'll understand why in just a little bit but Again, a pastor is a teacher, but a teacher is not necessarily a pastor. First off, what is the role of a pastor? What is the pastor's role to the local congregation and to the local church? We find that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, where Peter writes the pastors of a particular city, and he says, to the elders among you, let's just stop there for a minute, That Peter, we we think elders and we think church elders. That's where our minds go. But keep in mind, Peter's writing this letter to the leaders of the church. And he calls the pastors elders. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So let's go back up to verse one. He says, elders, pastors of the... Pastors who are pastoring in this city Understand something I'm appealing to you as a fellow elder Peter the one who walked with Jesus who stuck his foot in his mouth with Jesus the one who denied Jesus the one Jesus reinstated as As an apostle and as a disciple he goes listen. I'm an elder with you I'm with you And he says That you, Pastor, are an elder. This brings us to our next point. Just as pastors are teachers and teachers are not pastors, pastors are also elders, but elders are not necessarily called or gifted to be a pastor. Are you with me? I know Josh and Aaron will say, Yes, thank you for that. <laughs> right? While they care for the spiritual. The spirituality and the souls of the flock right they are not necessarily called or gifted to be a pastor but the pastor is an elder he is the chief elder of the elders if that makes sense and I want you to notice something why why is someone a pastor? Well, not only is it a gift that Jesus bestows on an individual to lead a local church, right? To say, okay, everybody, let's get back in the hen house. Let's begin to move forward. Let's, let's begin to, to, to move forward in a, in a synchronized, organized, right? God does not need any free-range chickens in his kingdom. He needs people that are marching in unison, moving with purpose, And there are so many people that are free-range Christians that are just like, well, I don't need a church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And I would say that the writer of Hebrews and several other people, uh, writers of the New Testament, would not only argue with you, but they would call into question maybe even your salvation. Though I can't go that far, I would say simply that, To call yourself a Christian in the New Testament church, if we were to go all the way back within the first 60 years before the fall of Jerusalem in 60 A.D., if we were to talk to the Christians in the early church between 0 and 60 A.D., the thought of being a Christian and not being connected to a local church would be like calling yourself a human, but I don't need to breathe. It's just not conceivable. They didn't conceive of that. It wasn't even in their thought. Yet today we want to say, well, I can do this over here and I can do that over there. And so that's why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. You you can't, you can't. There was a gentleman one time that he was an elder of a church and there was a member of the church who had not been involved in the church for quite a while. It was was in the 1700s and it was winter and he went and he he knocked on on his door to, to visit him. And there's that elderly gentleman who had been in church most all of his life and he was sitting by the fire. And the elder of the church goes in and sits down next to him. He said, hey, you know, we haven't seen you at church lately. We haven't, you know, are you okay? Is everything all right? And so on and so forth. And the elderly gentleman who had attended church just began to one excuse after another. I'm old. I can't move. It's cold. It's, you know, all of the excuses, Right. <clears throat> and the pastor just listened or the elder just listened and he didn't respond he didn't he didn't say anything back he just reached over and he grabbed the poker and pulled a coal out of the fire and separated it from the rest of the fire and just left it on there in front of the fire and as the elder or as the elder just listened the gentleman kept talking and something happened to that ember separate from the fire, it slowly began to die. It slowly began to lose its heat. It slowly began to basically turn to ash and not be functional anymore. But the elder never said anything and as the conversation ended, he grabbed the poker and pushed the burning coal back into the fire. And as the coal sat there amongst all the other pieces of flame and the logs and the coals and the ashes, it reignited. And then the elder said, well, thank you for for letting me know, (coughs) handed the poker to the gentleman and walked out the door and never said a word. And the gentleman sitting in the seat looked down and thought about the coal the elder had pulled from the fire. And pushed back in. And it dawned on him, my spiritual walk has only grown cold. But I no longer contribute to the heat. And he saw himself as the coal and the ember that got pulled from the fire. And so this thought that I don't need the church to be a Christian to the early church, that wasn't even conceivable. That wasn't even a thought. And so as we as Christians, as we, as we grow, Jesus says, I'm giving a gift to the body of Christ on the planet earth, and I'm going to call them pastors, teachers, and I want them to pull together, and to organize, and to love, and to care, and to teach my saints, and teach my followers how to grow and mature spiritually. And I love what Peter says. He says... Listen, you're not doing it because you have to, but because you are willing. Pastors, the word, the word pastor also is a shepherding term, and it means to care for a flock of sheep. It means to care for them and, and to love them and, and to bring them together and then send them out to the pasture and let them feed and, and, and to be free and then bring them back. It means to shepherd and to care for. It means to take you and feed it until it grows into an adult lamb that can take care of itself. But you know the interesting thing about a shepherd? A shepherd doesn't own the sheep. Whoever employs the shepherd owns the sheep. Peter said there towards the end, he said until, go, go, toward, uh, go, to Peter, go to 1 Peter 5, 4, and what's he say? And when the chief shepherd appears, now who is the ch- chief shepherd? It's capitalized. Jesus. Who is the pastor responsible to? Jesus. He says when the chief shepherd arrives, he says, pastors, when the chief shepherd, the one who really owns the sheep, appears, you will receive a crown. This is the promise to all pastors, that one day in eternity, you will receive a crown for taking care of the people of God and seeing them grow from small little lambs to full-grown sheep who can care for themselves. And so pastors are given, there's a structure that God has put in place. It's God... It's Jesus that gives the gift, and he confirms the gift through the willingness of the pastor and through the gift and his ability to care for people and to love them. Now, can the pastor visit every single person? No, that's ridiculous, right? Does a shepherd go and visit every single sheep? No. He watches over them. He protects them, and when he sees a wolf or he sees something that isn't right, he moves them. Or he... ...to go towards this stream, this grass, right? And the, and the shepherd sometimes makes adjustments because at the end of the day, he is responsible for the chief, to the chief shepherd who owns the sheep. We, we have an idea, I think, sometimes in the church in the West, especially in the United States, that the shepherd respo- the shepherd is responsible to the sheep. What shepherd caring for the sheep answers to the sheep? He doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to do that. He answers to the chief, sh- chief shepherd who owns the sheep. And so a pastor is... His part of his role as an elder as a teacher and part of his role is a shepherd who answers to Christ to Jesus now what's his responsibility what's my responsibility as your pastor what's a pastor's responsibility in John chapter 21 verses 15 through 16 the Bible tells us this when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, Well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, Take care. Of my sheep. Now I don't have time to break down the theological depth of this conversation, but did you notice that Jesus said, "Peter, He's reinstating Peter." Remember, Peter denied Him three times, right? Jesus asks him three times, "Do you love these sheep? Do you love these people? Do you love these people? Do you love these people?" And ask Peter three times, one for each denial. But then he says, the first time Peter goes, yes, and in the Greek, this is into my notes, this is for free. So he says, it, Jesus says, the first, the first question, let's go back to the start of that. Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love? Jesus says agape, do you agape? Do you love me with God's kind of love? And Peter's answer is, yes, Lord, you know that I You know that I phileo you. You know I love you like a friend. Peter did not answer with agape. Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter goes, yeah, I phileo you like a friend. So then Jesus says, feed my lambs. Feed the baby sheep. Feed those that are new in Christ. Feed those that that have just come to Christ. And then Jesus asks him again. He says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know that. And Peter catches it. Yes, you know I agape you. And Jesus said, now take care of my sheep. Jesus gave him two commands. Feed the young sheep and feed the old sheep. Part of a pastor's responsibility is to prepare enough food on a Sunday morning that those who are new to Christ can take it and learn. And those that have been walking for Christ and studying their Bible every day for 50 years can get something out of it and grow and learn too. That's the responsibility of a pastor, is to provide you food to leave here and to go chew on for the rest of the week. That's my role. That's the pastor's responsibility. And one day I will stand before the chief shepherd and he will say, did you provide enough food for them to grow and to mature and chew on throughout the week. That's the responsibility. The pastor is to prepare spiritual food for both baby and mature followers of Christ. That's a pastor's role. In addition to all of the other things, this is the major role. Right? Feed... Sp- is to feed spiritual food to the people of God and to see people I can't make you grow no more than a shepherd can make his sheep grow. But I can make sure you're getting the grass that you need, that you're by the water you need, that you're in from the storm, that you're out in the sun, And I don't want to get into all of what shepherding entails. It's simply to say that's the pastor's role. Is to make sure that you are fed well. Now, I think there's there's this idea that the pastor should just be running and doing everything in the church. Right? Well, he lives there, right? He has a cot and he sleeps there. He sweeps the church, and he cleans the windows, and then he's there to counsel, and then he's there to preach, and then he's there. That's, let me give you a prime example. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, something's going on in the church. They're distributing food to the needy, and the elders and the pastors are there helping to distribute food. It's basically an administrative task. It's a task of administration. How do we deliver food? How do we get food out to the needy? And what's happening in the church is that people of, uh, of Hebrew descent are getting preference over those who are not Hebrew in the church, to the Gentiles. And so the widows and the, and the single moms and the orphans are getting preferential treatment if they're Jewish. And if you're not Jewish, well, we'll give you some in a little bit but we're going to take care of them first. This is happening in the early church. And so, pastor shows up on the scene. He goes, or he's there helping distribute, and he goes, well, what's going on here? This isn't right. You're not supposed to be showing preferential treatment just because somebody is Jewish or somebody is a Gentile or someone's Ethiopian. You're not supposed to be showing preferential treatment. This isn't right. We can't be doing this. And so what happens, he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Find people among you who have the gift of administration, who understand how to administrate. And I love this. Having worked in a restaurant for several years, it says, it is not right that we, the elders, should be waiting on tables when we're supposed to be praying, seeking God's face, and studying and learning the Word of God so that we can feed you spiritually. And so they found people with the gift of administration that could hand out the food, that could administrate and run portions of the church so that the pastor could prepare himself to give the spiritual food. Why is that so important? Here's why that's important. Brent, you're going to appreciate this because we've talked about this. This is in your book. It's that the idea is this. Our thoughts kind of drive our actions, right? I'm going to botch this up. But our thoughts, our thoughts drive our actions. Our actions then dictate what we do throughout the day, which eventually dictates our destiny. And if you take any psych, psychology class, if you take anything and you talk about Maslow's hierarchy, you talk about any of this, they always start with your thoughts. But the Bible goes deeper. The Bible says, no, there's a spiritual aspect of you. It's what you believe. Dictates your thoughts. And your thoughts dictate your habits and your actions, which then dictate eventually your destiny and who you are. My job, and this is what i told the barista at the coffee shop, my job as a pastor is to help you on that lower rung of your beliefs. So when the beliefs, when you believe correctly about yourself, when you believe correctly about who you are in Christ, when you believe correctly about who Christ is and what he came to do, when your beliefs are correct, your thoughts will begin to adjust and begin to fix themselves, which will then affect your habits and your actions, which will then affect your destiny and the outcome of your life. Thoughts aren't the basis. It's your beliefs that are the basis. And my job is to give you spiritual food to fix and adjust those beliefs, to bring them in line with Scripture, with who God says you are, not what your parents told you you were, not what your friends say you are, not what the media tells you you are, and not what anybody else says, but to say, hey, when you go out there, this is who you are. You are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are to act like Jesus, to be Jesus, to a lost and dying world. I hear, well, man, pastor, if you could just come talk to my neighbor. My job, as we're going to talk about next week, is not to come talk to your neighbor to bring them to Jesus. That's your job. My job is to give you the food to equip you to go out and bring them in. It's not the church's job to say, okay, come come on in, let's get you saved. Less people will get saved if we expect them to dawn the doors of our church. More people will get saved if you are out there sharing the gospel and you're equipped to answer questions and you're equipped to be able to handle your faith and what you believe. That changes your thought life, that changes your habits and your patterns and changes the destiny of your life. And then people see that and say, I want some of what you got. Well, then come with me. That's your job. My job is not to stand up here and preach to get people saved. My job is to equip you to grow so that when you go out there, you're a mature believer to bring people in here. And we have completely flipped that on its head. Completely flipped that on its head. The question is, and I, and I debated even saying this, but I'm going to shoot straight. Can I, can I shoot straight? And some pastors, when they're watching online, they're going to cringe when they hear me say this. I have people come to me and say, well, I'm just, I'm just not growing here. I'm just not, there's just enough spiritual food. I'm not growing here. And my response is, the last time I checked, adults feed themselves. Adults feed themselves. My job is to put it on your plate. Now, a baby Christian, somebody who's new to Jesus, yeah, I might have to spoon feed. We might have to spoon feed them. You might have to spoon feed them. But at some point they have to start eating for themselves and here's what I'm going to tell you that when a pastor is doing their job and other people are using their gifts in the church the church begins to grow let me give you a leader because in that story in Acts the pastors and the elders came in and said okay who's got the gift of administration Let's begin to put those people in place to run this so we can go back to praying, seeking God's face, studying the Word of God to help you grow spiritually, to change your thoughts and change your actions and change your destiny. What are they doing? They were delegating. Leadership tip out of this sermon. Delegation does not cause your power to decrease. It causes increase. Delegation does not cause your power to decrease. It causes increase. Well, it's just quicker to do it myself and whatever you're doing will live and die with you. Well, I don't want to delegate because then I lose my power. Wrong. Your power will increase. A candle does not lose its light by lighting another candle. If you want to become a better boss and a better leader, learn to delegate, learn to teach, and watch what you're doing flourish. So when church government and church leadership is, is right and it's working well, the church flourishes and begins to grow. What's the result? Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So, as a result of the elders and the pastors doing their jobs, it says, so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests came obedient to the faith. Just leave that up there for a second. The word of God spread. In other words, it centered and moved out. And then it says the number of salvations in Jerusalem grew. Does it say that? No, the number of disciples grew because they were discipling one another they began to grow in the faith and out, and more disciples began to happen. When the pastors were free to do their job because people were stepping up to the plate and filling in the holes in the local church, they grew in their spiritual walk, and then a large number of Jewish priests came to the faith. As the number of those that were growing spiritually grew then those outside the priests they begin to come to the faith the people outside the walls of this building are dependent upon you to grow spiritually so that they can hear and see what you do hear what you say and they come to the faith that's what this is about That's what this is about. And you know what a disciple means? A disciple means one that learns the doctrine and is then displayed in their lifestyle. One who learns the doctrine and then it's displayed in their lifestyle. Think about that. Your lifestyle speaks volumes. It doesn't say salvation's grew. It says the number of disciples grew. And then, the number of priests in the temple and in the synagogue who saw these people's lives change said, whoa, whoa, what is this? I want some of that. Your spiritual development is critical to the growth of the local church and critical to those coming into the body of Christ. God has a structure. One of the things that my oldest son uh, used to love to do, and he probably still loves to do it, I don't know. Yes, I'm meaning a yes. He loves to build, like, complicated Lego sets, right? So this morning I walked up in his room and said, hey, you got any of those books on how to construct things? Um, what I have here is, <clears throat> I'm going to botch it because it's Italian, but Trevi Fountain in Rome. And, I mean, when you've got an instruction guide that's 156 pages, That's a pretty complicated Lego set, isn't it? Uh, The other one is the Louvre in France. It's got 151 pages. You see, when God intended to build his church, he gave us this instruction manual. And he goes, when I build my church, there's certain pieces that need to be in place. And those pieces... Our apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Those need to be in place so that when I build my church and you look at it and you go, oh my gosh, what is that? That's awesome. Look at all of the different pieces in that church that make it one. This is what we're building. Not the Louvre, the Louvre, or Trevi Fountain, but we're building. Something in this community that people will look at and go I want to be a part of that I don't know fully what they're doing but that was part of the attraction of the early church because they were like I don't know what, what is going on over there I want, I want to be a part of that but I don't know fully what, what what do you do over there what is that over there well let me tell you because I understand my faith and I know who and what we are and I'll let me share that with you let's stand up this morning as we close in song now, I don't care if you consider yourself part of the Louvre or the fountain or we're building something far greater. We're building something far greater and my job and my role as a pastor is to teach you, to equip you so that when you go out you can share your faith, model it to others and they want a part of that. What's Pray, and then we're going to close out with song. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your presence in this place today. I thank you for the opportunity to come together, to gather together, to learn, to grow. Lord, I pray that the people in this building today would not be like the coal that got pulled away from the fire and lost its ability to heat the room, but to the flame, that we would be a part of that flame, we would light the room heat the room so that people come around us in our community to grow in the image and likeness of christ as we all mature as we'll see next week into the unity of spirit that you've called us to in jesus name amen